We like to think of ABLE as a three-legged stool of preventing misconduct, preventing mistakes, and protecting police officers. Welcome to this month's edition of the FBI National Academy Associates Leadership APB podcast series. My name is John Kennedy, and I'm the Director of Education and Training for the FBI National Academy Associates. I'll be your moderator today. The Leadership APB podcast series engages law enforcement and public safety executives in discussions on timely and current topics affecting first responders around the world. These leaders will share with you their leadership and managerial philosophies, successes, and obstacles that they've encountered in their careers. We're here today with Deputy Superintendent Paul Noel of the New Orleans Police Department. Deputy Superintendent Noel joined the New Orleans Police Department in 1997 and quickly rose through the ranks of the department, serving in various assignments as a detective, a detective sergeant, a detective lieutenant, and the commander of the Criminal Investigation Division, commander of the Second District, and chief of field operations. As the chief of detectives, he oversees all centralized investigative functions. Deputy Superintendent Noel received both his master's and bachelor's degrees in criminal justice from Loyola University. He graduated from the FBI National Academy session number 230, the FBI's Law Enforcement Executive Development Program, and the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration's Drug Unit Commanders Academy. He is also a champion of the New Orleans Police Department's Ethical Policing is Courageous program and is a member of the Georgetown University Law Center ABLE Project Board of Advisors. Deputy Superintendent Noel will share with us the mission and the successes that the New Orleans Police Department has had with the Active Bystandership for Law Enforcement Project. Paul, thank you for joining us today. Can you tell us about the Active Bystandership for Law Enforcement Project, ABLE for short, and why the New Orleans Police Department saw the need and urgency to train its officers in active bystandership? Thank you, John. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here with you today and speak to my fellow National Academy graduates about the important topic of peer intervention and active bystandership in law enforcement. I know we are here today to speak about active bystandership in law enforcement known as the ABLE Project out of Georgetown University Law School, but we also cannot talk about ABLE without first mentioning the New Orleans Police Department's groundbreaking peer intervention program called EPIC, which stands for Ethical Policing is Courageous. So please keep in mind that I may use EPIC and ABLE interchangeably. We are absolutely in cooperation with one another, not in competition with one another. So with that being said, uh, many of you know the New Orleans Police Department had a long history of incidents of police misconduct and excessive force. I don't believe we had a police corruption problem. I believe we had a culture problem. We had a culture baked into our organization where officers looked the other way when misconduct was occurring or about to occur. What we know now is we enabled this bad behavior by not intervening and not taking action to stop the mistake and to stop the misconduct. We also recognize the usual ethics trainings were not going to be enough for us to change our culture and for us to evolve as an agency in a positive way. That's why we created EPIC, which eventually evolved into the ABLE project. ABLE is a peer intervention program based in social science. ABLE teaches officers how to intervene successfully, regardless of rank, which is very important, and it establishes protections 
for police officers to intervene. At its core, ABLE is about preventing misconduct, preventing mistakes, and promoting officer wellness. This is a no downsides program. It's good for officers, it's good for the department, and it's good for the community. We like to think of ABLE as a three-legged stool of preventing misconduct, preventing mistakes, and protecting police officers. At its core, it's about protecting lives and protecting careers. By preventing potential harmful actions, ABLE also protects the community as well. If we use all of our ABLE tools correctly, we protect the public, save lives, and save careers. So in 2016 in New Orleans, we started our epic journey. Since then, our entire department has been trained in ethical policing as courageous. The principles of active bystandership are infused in everything that we do, from our recruitment to the academy, to field training, to in-service training, to supervision, to accountability, and to discipline. Every officer is expected to adhere to the principles of ABLE and EPIC. It is very important to remember that EPIC and ABLE are not just a training program. You have to make it a, a primary part of your culture if you want people to actually to intervene. Everyone has to have the tools and skills to intervene effectively and the openness to receive and accept an intervention regardless of rank. It's something we really hop on in New Orleans and with ABLE. You have to be able to intervene regardless of rank. Um, because of that, so in New Orleans, we, we have an epic pin that we wear in our uniform that is evidence of the contract all of us have with one another. We say, I will intervene to protect you from doing something wrong, and I will accept an intervention from you as well. So, John, to answer your question, we felt it was critical for us to bring this valuable training to our organization to not only help us change the culture of our agency to prevent misconduct um, from occurring, and also reduce mistakes committed by police officers, and finally, to improve the health and wellness of our police officers. Paul, in follow-up to that, do you feel that the ABLE project addresses racism, ethnic, gender, and other biases in policing? ABLE does address racism, ethnic, gender, and other biases in policing, but is certainly not a panacea to those issues. ABLE is a key component of a broader package of culture-changing solutions. It is the foundation that makes the other things we want to accomplish more likely, and it does so in a manner that protects the public and also protects the police officers. I believe ABLE should be a part of any community's efforts to eliminate policing harms caused by the biases that are woven into the fabric of American society. We are working intentionally to ensure that ABLE directly reduces biased policing and its consequences, including race, ethnic, gender, and socioeconomic biases. There are two main ways ABLE can help do this. First, ABLE can reduce the harm of biased policing. We know that police misconduct disproportionately impacts people who are black, Hispanic, and are also poor. When officers act on their ABLE training to intervene and prevent misconduct, the consequences of disproportionate policing harm, therefore, are reduced. Law enforcement agencies can and should have multiple programs designed to reduce structural and individual officer bias in policing. Alongside such restructuring, agencies and the communities they serve need strategies for reducing the harm of the bias we know currently exists, even as they work to eliminate that very bias. ABLE does that by teaching practical strategies 
and tactics that are effective at preventing the unnecessary police harm that is disproportionately borne by some of our communities. Secondly, direct anti-bias and cultural competence strategies are only effective if they do more than raise awareness. They must change conduct. In fact, research has shown that such strategies can actually be counterproductive if they only raise awareness and do nothing else. We believe that ABLE does not replace anti-bias programs, but that is a necessary component of, of such programs. This is because it teaches officers how to effectively to intervene. For example, at ABLE, we teach, notice, decide, act. In this context, that might even mean that an officer sees his partner responding aggressively to a woman or Latino man, and the officer knows from his anti-bias training that this may be the result of that officer experiencing an identity threat. But if that is the extent of the insight, anti-bias training may have no impact on what happens next. But if that officer also has had ABLE training, the officer has been taught the importance of deciding to act and has the skills to do so effectively. I think it's also worth mentioning that we train officers that implicit and ex explicit biases may be an inhibitors to an intervention and we provide strategies for them in advance to overcoming those obstacles. Further, we believe that maybe a, a conduct, culture conduct feedback loop that makes each intervention a building block to a more fair and equitable police agency. So to sum up that long answer, ABLE helps to attack racism and other biases by reducing misconduct, which we know is disproportionately borne by our marginalized communities, by teaching a skill that can be used to mitigate and or prevent police actions prompted by racism and or bias, and by creating a culture of active bystandership, which will make it easier to accomplish the broader things that we as a community want to accomplish. What type of buy-in or pushback Paul, did you receive from both the command and line staff when you decided to implement the ABLE program? That's a great question, John. I've been doing this for 24 years, and I don't know a program um, that we've started here in New Orleans or anywhere else that didn't first start with a lot of pushback. Um, there was no difference here when we started EPIC and transitioned into ABLE. I think the biggest obstacle that we faced was the view that we already do this. That's what we heard so often here in New Orleans and when we started spreading ABLE around the rest of the country. Everyone says, we don't need this because we already do this. While we do this sometimes, we know we fail to do it frequently. While you may disagree with me on that point, I could tell you that the years of academic research tells us otherwise. The problem is, just like everyone else, we are better at remembering the times we do intervene than the times we don't. Having buy-in, all, at all levels of leadership really helped us counteract that pushback in New Orleans. I still remember the very first um, EPIC training that we did in New Orleans. It was the very first class that we did. And the superintendent, um, Michael Harrison, who's now the commissioner in Baltimore, and his entire command staff participated in that very first class. And we really sat down and participated. We put our phones down and actively engaged from the beginning to the end. We continue to engage our frontline supervisors as well as the informal leaders who we now call our EPIC ambassadors. Actually going through the class helped reduce pushback as our officers begin to understand that this is not a rat on your partner program, but is in fact the very opposite of that. It's truly about protecting your partner from doing something wrong in the first place. In New Orleans, we started with an eight hour class. We do yearly in-service, but I think more importantly, 
active bystandership is woven into every aspect of our department, especially in our training. Um, in New Orleans, we addressed it at roll calls. Um, back you know, before COVID, we actually used to have special events like Mardi Gras and other big sporting events. We would always talk about Epic and ABLE at those events. Um, I remember in the aftermath of the George Floyd murder, there was protests all across the country. Um, a deputy chief from New Orleans and an Epic ambassador went to every single roll call to speak about the principles of, of, of peer intervention and active bystandership and really have an, an engaging dialogue with the members of our department. And finally, we created our Epic Ambassador Program, which is staffed by line officers and first line supervisors who function to reinforce principles of active bystandership through organic conversation with their colleagues. This is just a few examples of what we did, but I can tell you, John, that this is not a program where you could just introduce, kind of wind it up and let it go. This is something that you have to work on every single day to keep it active in your agency. We've been doing this in New Orleans for at least five years now, and there's not a week or most of the time even a day that goes by that I'm not talking to someone about Epic and ABLE to keep it fresh in, in the minds of our officers and always keep our program moving forward and thriving as opposed to stagnating. So, Paul, why should communities and law enforcement agencies embrace the ABLE program? To best respond to that question, I'm going to dive a little deeper into what active bystandership is all about. So if I was speaking in front of a live audience right now, I would ask someone from the audience, what is a bystander? And think about that as a second as you listen to this podcast. What is a bystander? So a bystander is a witness who is in a position to know that there is a need for positive action and also is in a position to take some form of action. So think about that. So if you think about that as a bystander, that's really almost the same definition as a police officer. That's what we do. We're, we're called to scenes and we're, we're out there, we witness things and we take action. So let's focus on in the position to know part of the definition. So if I was, again, speaking to an audience, I would ask the audience, what do you think this means? So sometimes we know this, people who are physically present at an event that requires an intervention will close their eyes, so to speak, and try not to take in what is happening. This is something throughout my career as a young officer, we were kind of taught to do. If something bad was happening, they would say, look, look the other way, let's get out of here. We know that's how we enabled bad behavior in policing. So if you are physically present, you're a bystander and you're able to act and prevent or stop unnecessary harm. So that's what ABLE is about. ABLE is about authorizing and empowering officers to intervene in each other's actions that may create unnecessary harm, regardless of rank, teaching how to intervene successfully and protecting those who do intervene. We know mistakes happen, okay? Good people make mistakes every single day. Making mistakes is how we learn. And sometimes it could be an indication that something is wrong. Some misconduct is a result of a mistake, such as someone just misinterpreting a situation, misinterpreting their actions or behavior, and then responding. Other misconduct is not a mistake, such as um, you know, beating up uh, a prisoner or you know, beating up a handcuffed subject, something like that. Nonetheless, intervention is required to prevent unnecessary harm. Officer health and wellness is also a big component of this because we know that officers that are struggling, especially with mental health, that this can lead to mistakes and eventually misconduct. 
wellness is so important uh, on its own and also as a bigger component of what we're trying to do at ABLE. And I think also, I think we're all aware of the concept of the blue wall of silence. There's a general perception in the public, at least, that officers think that loyalty means covering up for a fellow officer who has done something wrong. And I can concede over the course of my career, I know I've seen this happen in the world. ABLE flips this on its head. Loyalty is not about saying you've done something wrong, but I'll protect you from facing the consequences. We feel at ABLE that loyalty is about saying you're about to do something wrong or something dangerous here, and it's my duty to protect you from stopping you from making a mistake. So why wouldn't you want to bring this to your community or your agency? If you're a police chief, if you're um, a community member, you're listening to this, you know your police officers are going to make mistakes. We're only human. So if you bring this training to your officers, to your community, you're going to give your officers the tools that they need to effectively intervene and hopefully prevent the next police misconduct from occurring. And follow up to that, Paul, what role does the community and specifically community leaders play to support the program? Great question. So when we were starting our EPIC program back in 2016, there were two key community members that were critical in our collaboration process. One was named Mary Howell. Um, she is probably a very unlikely partner with, with the police department because she's a civil rights lawyer who successfully sued us over and over again in misconduct and excessive force cases. And the other one is Ted Quant, who is a civil rights leader who's protested the actions of the New Orleans Police Department over the years numerous times. Why do I mention Mary and Ted today? Because when we were decided to, to really to build our program, we didn't go to the usual cheerleaders of the New Orleans Police Department that, that always show up at our community meetings and always support the NOPD regardless of what we do. We wanted to bring in our biggest critics when we're designing our program, not just those cheerleaders. The thought process was if we could convince our biggest critics that they were serious about bringing meaningful culture change to the NOPD, then we were definitely moving in the right direction. So I would advise any department that's working to implement ABLE training to their organization to go find your biggest critics before you start and get them involved at the beginning. While key community stakeholders were critical in the development of our program, I acknowledge that we certainly could have done better with continued and ongoing community involvement in our program now that it's been implemented. We certainly could have done a better job at announcing to the public and making sure that the regular folks were aware of what, what ABLE was about. And uh, certainly if we would have had more resources, I would have loved to have advertised Epic and ABLE more broadly locally here in New Orleans. We're always thinking about ways to raise the public profile of Epic and ABLE among the citizens of our city. And when you go through the process of joining ABLE, I certainly recommend that you do the same thing. And we're always open here in New Orleans from learning from the successes of all the departments. Um, we're all in this together in reforming um, our profession. Does the department have any plans for internal follow-up evaluations or surveys to measure and verify the success of the program? This is always a tricky question because in New Orleans, we have so many different initiatives in motion here in New Orleans with police reform and crime fighting. I can tell you that anecdotal evidence indicates that our EPIC program and our transition to ABLE has been very successful. These stories are shared in our annual trainings and also shared throughout the department. Also, overall evidence shows 
decreased citizen-initiated complaints, increased public trust with our surveys, and also decreased incidences of excessive force throughout the department. But I do want to acknowledge that there were many reforms implemented here in New Orleans at the same time as EPIC. So it's really tough for us to attribute credit to one approach. That's why it's so I'm really so excited to be partnered with the ABLE project out of Georgetown Law. The ABLE project is going to be collecting survey data from ABLE departments across the country. It's going to be anonymous information, but they're going to have agency-specific information that I think we're going to be sharing out in the future. And the work that ABLE is doing is going to really help us be able to prove and collect the data of the positive aspects of programs like ABLE. Paul, it's been a pleasure to be able to talk to you today. Again, thank you for taking the time to share your experience and successes of the ABLE project in New Orleans with your fellow FBI NA members and NA grads. Again, we're looking forward to working with you in the future and with the staff at Georgetown. Thank you very much. This concludes our broadcast. We hope that you'll join us again for the next edition of the Leadership APB podcast series. Please stay safe and well. 